we call Beatitudes. They are the principles for living life in the kingdom of heaven, or as I put it, God's way to the good life. The way life is supposed to be, the way God designed it to be as we live under His authority. We've looked at uh, several of the Beatitudes already, by way of reminder. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We said that entrance into the kingdom begins here. I admit my failure and turn control over to God. I realize I've not done a good job in my own life, my own kingdom, and come to believe that God is willing to take control, to oversee my life, to run the show. All I have to do is let Him. All I have to do is take my hands off the steering wheel. All I have to do is let go. The second beatitude says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. While it is for certain that God does comfort the mourning, whatever you're mourning for, even if it's not something worth mourning over, by the way, uh, God still comforts us because that's the God He is. He is, as Paul says in Second Corinthians, the God of all comfort. Yeah, we are comforted by His very presence. But in this particular case, I think He's talking in conjunction with poverty of spirit and saying... Uh, Don't be surprised if you turn the control of your life over to God today and tomorrow find that you're back on the throne because that's our nature as sinners to snap right back to trying to run this show ourselves or even to say, okay, God, you're in control. We're going to do things your way. And then after one day to say, well, I now see what your way is. I'll take care of it from here. (laughs) And that's not the way it works Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I return to the cross again and again. And I only had room for two agains, but you could go again and again and again. Moment by moment, day by day, hour by hour, situation by situation, to again surrender control. Look for symptoms. Do you know the symptoms of when you're in control of your own life? Check out Galatians chapter 5. Paul says he calls them the works of the flesh. Here are the things that show up when you've been running your own life. So you may not be honest about it. You may be in denial. You may be a a religious nut who are absolutely convinced that God's in control while you're running the show. But look for the symptoms. Look for the works of the flesh. And then he says, so what will happen if I know the Holy Spirit's in control? Well, then he lists the fruit of the Spirit, right? And says, look for these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, goes on and on, right? How many of you are more patient today than you used to be? Okay, awesome. That's, that's great. That's, that is only God. That never comes by human effort or will, only by surrendering to God. But if you think, well, I think I'm about patient enough, I'll take it from here, Watch yourself become really impatient again because impatience is one of the works of the flesh as self-centeredness is, okay? But (laughs) we can come to the cross again and again. Then blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. (laughs) So once I have recognized that I can't run my own life and that God wants to run my life, and decide to surrender, and once I take it again and again to the cross, so that I learn to consistently live under His authority, I can learn to rest in Him. 
to trust in what He provides, to realize that I'm going to be okay, not because of who I am, but because of whose I am. Because I belong to Him. Because He's in charge, I can rest. I can relax. I can trust. And when I trust, then I start becoming all that God designed me to be. Trust is the pathway to becoming all God wants you to be, not more effort, more faith. And then blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Once this happens, I begin to long for more and more of what God wants me to be. We call this righteousness. As opposed to being who you think you ought to be or who you always wanted to be, he's trying to make you more like his son, God's son, Jesus Christ. And in that process, you find that you'll desire that more and more the more you live in God's kingdom under his control. That brings us to today's lesson. Blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. How many of you see yourselves as merciful? Go ahead, you can be honest. Oh, a couple of hands went up. How many of you see yourselves in need of mercy? Now, now that's interesting, because about 90% of yourself said you, need, you needed mercy, and only about 10% said you were merciful. And isn't it interesting that the Beatitude ties the two together? In fact, it starts with your being merciful. Blessed are the merciful, they will obtain more mercy. How's that work? We say it this way. I welcome God's grace... And then I pass it on. <laughs> Who wouldn't welcome God's grace? But what's the prerequisite for welcoming God's grace? <laughs> yeah, it comes from being merciful, certainly. But to receive God's grace, what do I have to believe? I need what God has. I, again, we're back to the thing, I don't have in myself what I need to be who I'm supposed to be. But God has what I need, and He wants to give it to me. That's grace. Once I get it, just like Janet just said, <laughs> it's like a reservoir. Now I can give out of what God has given me. And in fact, if you want more grace, more mercy... The Beatitude seems to be saying, then give away what God's already given you, and He'll give you even more. I welcome His grace. I recognize my need for God's grace. And I welcome it. I believe I have it in Christ. Now that I have it, I look for opportunities to give it away. I welcome His grace, then I pass it on. Well, two words here that we've used interchangeably really are not interchangeable. They are the words mercy and grace. But they're almost always connected. We talk about God's mercy and grace. God's grace and mercy. We rarely just talk about grace or just mercy. 
because they are two sides of the same aspect of God's character and nature. Mercy is this in simple terms. Mercy is not getting what I have coming. Okay. What do you have coming? You have coming sin and death and guilt and shame and separation from God. That's what you have coming. You have that coming because you are a sinner, both by inherited nature and by practice. Okay? And so that's what you have coming. That's what the law demands of you. Only a merciful God would decide no. That's His mercy. His mercy says, you deserve death, but I'm going to withhold that. That's what mercy says. What about grace? Well, grace is really uh, the corresponding idea. Grace isn't um, not getting what I have coming, but getting what I don't have coming. Grace is the gift I receive. So God doesn't just uh, send His Son to die for me to get me out of hell. That's mercy. But He got me out of hell and into heaven. He spared me all of the pain and struggles of sin and offers me all of the glorious possessions of righteousness. He gives me His mercy. He gives me His grace. Max Lucado explained it this way. When he um, talks about grace and mercy, he uses the story of the prodigal son. And since most of you are familiar with it, that's a good starting point. Okay? The son takes what he's been given, goes away, squanders it, then realizes he's desperate, so he comes back home and the father welcomes him. Lucado says this, What is the difference between mercy and grace? Mercy gave the prodigal son a second chance. He knew his father was merciful, and so he went back home. Grace gave him a feast. Remember, the son was saying, When I get home, I'll use this speech on him. I know I'm not worthy to be considered your son any longer, but if you would just let me live as one of your servants, that would be enough. Remember that that story? And the father would hear none of it. Why? Because the father wasn't just merciful. He was also gracious. He restored him to sonship. He put a robe on him, right? Put the, the signet ring of the family on him, and that had a big party. That's grace. All the things that you have today by grace. Let's think about this idea then. First, from both ends, God's mercy and grace, and what happens when we receive God's mercy and grace. First idea is this. In Christ, we freely obtain what God's grace affords, not what we deserve. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) We get, by God's grace, what grace affords, not what we deserve. Paul explains it in 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 9. See if you can relate. Put yourself in the story. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. Verses 1 through 3 tell a story of me apart from grace, apart from God's mercy. Verse 4 is like the bridge, isn't it? But God, because of His great love, who is rich in mercy, made, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, for it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages we might show the incomparable riches of His grace. Remember I said, what grace affords. The incomparable riches of His grace, expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Amazing. We have all of heaven, including a relationship with the God of heaven, all because of grace. What about mercy? It is mercy that suspends God's right to demand payment of us. You owe God big time. Do you know that? Okay. Yeah. He, he made you. He gave you life. He sustains your life. Every moment, every breath you take, every movement, every action, every thought, all gifts from God, all a result of God's grace, but how can we experience it since we don't deserve any of it? Well, that's God's mercy. He <laughs> requires our lives of us. We've lived them under our own authority. His mercy says, I'm not going to make you pay for that. It's awesome. Because, think about it, you're sitting there as a person who's trusted Christ and placed your faith in God's grace, so good for you. But I assume you didn't do that as you came out of the womb. You lived a few years, or maybe, right? So how'd you stay alive for that period? Only by the mercy of God. You know, out, while you were out practicing your foolishness of running your own life? How'd you even keep going? 
so that you could even come to the point where you could bend your knee and confess with your tongue that He was Lord. That's God's mercy. Paul writes in Colossians 2, When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, do you understand what that means? That really, that's really a bunch of Bible gobbledygook, isn't it? Okay. <laughs> Be, so let me put it in plain English. What that means is, when you were separated from God as a result of your twofold sin, first, you were in trouble even before you were born because you were born to sinners, and so you were born separated from God. But it wasn't just that. Because of the uncircumcision of your heart, in other words, because you were born a sinner, you got really good at sinning. Okay? You, you were born to two sinners, and then you got even better at sinning than they were. That's who he's talking about. So what did God do? He forgave us all our sins. Now forgave, we have a tendency to make a religious term. But it's not a religious term. It is actually um, a term that comes from a particular occupation or practice. Anybody know what that occupation is? That's an accounting word, yeah. This forgave is crossed out the debit column. He forgave us our sin, our debt, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. Who did we owe? We owed God. And not only had we squandered what God had given us, we had no right or basis to ask for any more from Him. Which stood against us and condemned us. So what did He do with it? He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now that's a glorious verse, but what's it mean? In context, clearly what it means is, um, what do we call uh, the devil? We call him the blank of the brethren. Not heard that term? In fact, his name means, Satan means this, accuser. It means accuser. Okay? And, and so when you were in your sin, Satan was saying all the while, wasn't he? You belong to me. You'll never amount to anything. You'll never be able to please God. You'll never be able to live the life that He has for you. You belong to me. On the cross, Christ took the long list of all your sins, nailed them to the cross, and then spit in the devil's face and said, there, take that. They belong to me. The price has been paid. Isn't that awesome? Grace and mercy. God's grace does more, though, than just get us out of hell or spare us more difficulty. Grace releases all of the resources of heaven into our spiritual account in spite of what we've done. It's done in spite of what we've done because it's done 
because of what Christ has done. I like uh, Bill Hybels' explanation. He, he says, uh, all of the religions of the world and their theology can be summed up in one word. Do. Do this, do that, do the other thing. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other thing. And you might get into heaven. Do, 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 don't, don't, don't. Do is the word. But Christianity, according to biblical theology, is supposed to be apart from that. Totally different. Our word is not do. What is our word? Our word is done. Christ did it. It's finished. That's what he said in the cross. By the way, it is finished to telestai. That is a, also an accounting term. You know what accounting term that is? Paid in full. The price for your sin, paid in full. Paul writes, Ephesians chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with how many spiritual blessings? Every spiritual blessing in Christ. You get it all with Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love He predestined us for the adoption to sonship. This isn't the adoption of, a, a, of an infant who has no place to live. This is the adoption of a son who gets the uh, resources and the power and authority of the family. In accordance with His pleasure and will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. In Him, we have redemption through His blood. Another accounting term, redemption, means bought back, purchased back. Through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He sprinkled on us. Was that the word? What's the word? Lavished. Isn't that amazing? That He poured out on us. Okay, so that's God's grace and mercy as it reaches to us. It's what we get in a relationship with God because that's who God is. He is gracious. He extends grace. He is a merciful God. He gives us mercy. It's who He is. But how do we respond? To the degree in which we are able to show mercy to others, to that same degree, we obtain greater mercy. To the degree in which we are able to show mercy to others, to that same degree, we obtain greater mercy. Now, it's interesting that Christ should be talking about mercy here, not grace. <laughs> because, again, uh, mercy means not getting what you have coming. And it means when you show mercy, you don't give somebody what they have coming. You ever like in your mind go, well, I ought to, 
you know, that, that thinking betrays you. What you're saying is, if everything was just and right, this person should have to pay for what they've done. But that person has forgotten, haven't they, that they've received mercy themselves on a much higher level from a merciful God. There's no excuse for the behavior of some people. Okay? So don't excuse it. Give mercy. Just let them go. Just forgive them. That's what God's mercy did to you. He let you go down your destructive way until you reached the end, right? And then when you were at the end, He poured His grace on you. But you'd have never gotten to the end without His mercy. So how about you and other people? If you don't continue to extend mercy to them, in your relationship, they'll also never get to the point where they can obtain grace. The two go together. The two work together. You pray this all the time, right? You're not saying yes? You ever pray the Lord's Prayer? What's it say? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I understand, God, it, isn't that what the prayer says? Because it's really strangely worded. As we also have forgiven our debtors. In other words, he's saying like, there's a process going on here. I've received your mercy and grace in the past. Think I'm going to need more of it today? The answer is yes. Okay? And if I'm going to need more of it today, then I do well to make room for more of God's grace and mercy. How do I make room for more of God's grace and mercy? I give it away. The more I give away, the more I have the capacity to receive. I too suspend justice. It's not a matter of justice. Jesus uh, explains at the end of the Matthew 6 version of the Lord's Prayer, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now, by the way, this is not God saying, Okay, I'll forgive if you forgive. (laughs) Because that's like us controlling God. You can't control God. God forgives. When Jesus died on the cross... Whose sins did he die for? Everybody. Adolf Hitler? Yes. Every person's sins. Every sin. Every sin was forgiven at the cross. When he said it was finished, he meant finished. I mean, none of your sins had been performed yet, right? When Christ died. Now you are quite that old. No. They were all in the future. He was forgiving all of those. But, of course, we have to come to a point where we know we need God's grace, where we acknowledge that we need God's grace. We call that confession. And then we believe that God will give us grace. That's called faith. And then all of that grace at the cross becomes ours. So, If we forgive other people, if we have grace to give away, that means we've received grace, and now we can receive more. 
But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Again, the sins are forgiven, but the flow of forgiveness and grace and mercy from heaven is all plugged up. Because there's no flow through the channel of your life into the lives of others. So it is our faith in what God offers us that is reflected in our capacity to give it away to others. How much of God's grace have you received? Almost everybody would say who's a believer, oh yeah, I want all that God has. And yet, occasionally, don't you say, I don't think I can ever forgive that person. Or you try to qualify it. I can forgive, but I'll never forget. As if those things could be separated. (laughs) If you can't forgive somebody, what's your problem? You don't have enough grace. How do you get more grace? Give away what you have. Let God give you more. So, if you're running low on grace, and so it's hard to give away that last little piddly amount of grace that you're holding on to, thinking that you need it, recognize that that's the only way you're going to get more. It's the way the process works. It's like a circle. God gives me His grace. God shows me His mercy. I have the opportunity to give it away to others. In our scripture reading today, we read this story, didn't we? And it's a pretty remarkable story of uh, a king. And this uh, king decides he wants to have an audit, check out the books. And in the process of being a king and having lots of wealth, he has given away and trusted to certain stewards for the purpose of investing what he's given them, his wealth. And so to check out his wealth, he has to check out his stewards. And so he calls them. He began the settlement with a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold. Now, that's the NIV version of it because the older versions really don't make any sense either. So bags of gold, we can picture that. But what to picture that better, what you need to realize is this was like three lifetimes of earnings. Okay, So take what you think you'll earn in a lifetime multiply that times three that's how much you owe that's how much this guy owed since he was not able to pay you think (laughs) if you owe three lifetimes of income of debt and they decided to call in your debt could you pay it could you do anything to pay it no You have nothing you could sell that could replace that. You don't have a rich uncle who's got that much money that they're going to give you. It's not going to happen. He wasn't able to pay either. So the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that they had be sold to repay the debt. They would have to become slaves. That was the only possible way. 
At this, the servant fell to his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Now, if anybody ever tells you this, I want you to listen to this lesson. Okay. This man could never repay this. This was three times lifetime earnings. How was he going to pay it back? Even if he lived a really long time, <laughs> even if he you know, forego- uh, would set aside retirement and not do that, he, he wasn't going to do it. It wasn't going to happen. You have to have something to live off of. This was unpayable. And yet, did the wrecked man acknowledge that it was unpayable? No. He said, all right, just let me work at this a little harder and I'll save my money a little better and I'll try to be more frugal and I'll make sure that people that owe me money pay it back and then I'll pay you back. I will pay everything back. Well, the master is smarter than that. The master, it says, took pity on him and wrote up a plan for him to pay it back. Is that what he did? No, what did he do? Cancel the debt. Isn't it interesting? Because those are the exact same words from Colossians 2, what Christ did for you on the cross. Canceled the debt. And did what? Let him go. That's what forgiveness always produces freedom. It's a marvelous thing about it. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins about a week's wages okay now if I owed somebody a week's wages that'd be hard to pay back I might need time to do it but I could do it he grabbed him and began to choke him pay back what you owe me he demanded his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay it back. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) Okay. Now, the difference between his speech and the other guy's speech was he might have been able to pay it back with time. Right? In other words, by the way, if you can pay it back with time, forgiveness is not required. Just patience. Right? Forgiveness is only required when the debt is unpayable. That's why it's really foolish. When somebody wrongs you and and they say, you know, I'm really sorry about that. Please forgive me. And you say, oh, it's nothing. Don't worry about it. It's like one of the stupidest, most wrong things you can do and a bunch of you do it all the time. All you're doing is diminishing the power of the only thing that can set people free. What do you say to somebody like that? I forgive you. And every time you do, what are you reminded of? I have been forgiven. That's an awesome feeling, isn't it? Okay. Because if I haven't been forgiven, then I have no capacity to forgive you. But because I've been forgiven a debt far greater than you can possibly imagine, far greater than you could possibly ever owe me, I forgive you. I forgive you. Good words. Could restore marriages. Do you know that? If people just learn to say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And the other person would say, I forgive you. 
I forgive. Oh, the man says, um, give me time and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Now, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master, and by the way, this isn't too hard to figure out, who does the master or the king in the story represent? God. Okay? Called the servant in. You wicked servant. Now that's interesting because the word wicked here means um, ungodly. It means what would be God's response to this situation? And your response is the opposite. That's wickedness. Check it out. It's an interesting study in the book of Proverbs. It's always the opposite of what God does, who God is, how God responds, wicked. And he says to the servant, that's not the way you've been treated. That's not the way I responded to your debt. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? That's, that's a rhetorical question, but I'll let you answer. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Yes. You should have. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured. Now, torturing isn't going to pay back a debt, by the way. And you might be surprised that God's saying, I'm going to turn over to the torturers those who... I think all that Jesus is saying is, if you want to live this life where you're expecting justice out of everybody in your life, and you're failing to acknowledge your own need for grace, you're going to be tortured. <laughs> your life will be a torturous life. It's the way it works. Until he should pay back all he owed. So Jesus said, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Grace and mercy. Well, in the kingdom of heaven, here's the way it works. Blessed are the merciful. When the word full is put or as a suffix on the end of a word in biblical word, generally it means full of or controlled by. Blessed are those who are driven by a sense of mercy. Who are looking for opportunities to show mercy. Who are looking for opportunities to extend grace. You ever know somebody who's looking for places where somebody's doing something wrong so that they can catch him and point it out? You ever know anybody? None of you are that person, are you? You've known somebody like that? Okay. Okay. So then imagine the opposite. Look today for somebody who needs mercy and give some to them. 
Look for somebody who definitely could use some grace and give some to them. And what should you expect as a result? More grace and mercy in your life. That's what the Beatitude says, right? Blessed are the merciful. I described the merciful lifestyle. They shall obtain mercy. You need mercy? That's how you get it. Let's pray.